You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right, all right, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Uh, We're going to be looking at the entirety of Psalm 119 this evening. It's around 175 verses, I believe. Um, No one thought that was funny at all. Uh, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Uh, It's under the heading Beth. Uh, And Beth is also here with us this evening. It's nice to see you. (laughs) Yeah, I've been waiting all week for that. Uh, But yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, Usually the last Sunday of the year, we have a standalone sermon that's not part of any series. um, And we're going to keep that tradition alive. We're going to do the same thing here this evening. Um, So the new year is obviously coming, right? 2019 is upon us. uh, And with this new year, uh, there's going to be new trials and new challenges in all of our lives, and as the people of God in general. Um, Individually, we're going to have to go through personal trials, uh, sicknesses, financial stress, family strife, barrenness, emotional pain, work problems, all kinds of stuff we're going to deal with. Um, Then as the people of God, we're going to have to deal with things like new theological and biblical controversies that are going to come up, right? Often standing for the same old truths that we've been standing for for millennia. Um, New laws are probably going to be passed in our country. Uh, There's probably going to be a new level of persecution on the people of God everywhere uh, throughout the world. And, And with all of these new challenges and trials, there are going to be new temptations to sin. Right? Where there's, a, where there's a trial, there's a temptation to sin. And primarily, the big temptation is going to be, and has always been, to deny what the Word of God teaches. To deny it. To contradict it. To live against it and contrary to it. The, the big temptation for the church has always been to deny the Word of God. To deny the Scriptures. To deny its truthfulness and its veracity. Uh, to deny its power to convert and sanctify the people of God and instead look to man-made models for church growth. To deny its wisdom and look for worldly wisdom for how to live and the opinions of men for how to decide ethics and morals. To deny its way of salvation and look to false religions and, in, and opinions of men and, and believe that there are many ways to salvation. To deny that there is only one God, one mediator, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, one message of hope, one way of salvation, and one right way to live that honors God. You know, I was actually recently watching an older debate between Deepak Chopra, or Chopra, I'm not sure how you say his name, he's an Indian cat. Uh, he's a new age guru, uh, and he was debating a Christian apologist. And the Christian was appealing to the Bible and, and trying to show that the scriptures are trustworthy. Right? That's what he was doing. Uh, and Deepak started to smirk. And then arrogantly looked at the Christian and said, I don't get my faith from a book. Right? And he said that and, and as if getting our beliefs from a book was a lesser and ignoble thing to do. Right? And I was talking to Pastor Stephen about this last week, and he was really quick to point out that uh, Deepak writes books about faith and religion where he tries to convince people to believe like him. Right? So those people who read his books would be getting their beliefs from a book too, but it would just be his book. But I guess that's okay if you're Deepak because he's a hypocrite. Right? So like, good on Steve for pointing that out. He pointed that out really quick. Uh, made me laugh. But yeah, he said, I don't get my beliefs from a book. 
Uh, but brothers and sisters, we do receive our beliefs through a book, through the scriptures alone, sola scriptura, right? That's the cry of the Reformation. That's the cry of the people of God. No pope, no council, no confession. Those, though confessions can be useful, things like that. But at the end of the day, scripture alone is where we receive our beliefs. Our lives, our morals, our theology, everything we do and believe is built around the revelation of God, the written word of God, the Bible. The scriptures are the written revelation that God has given to us and in his providence kept his hand on its transmission so that we could know him and his ways and his salvation and how to please him and live for his glory and our good. What God has revealed in this book that we call the Bible is how we know him. And apart from it, we know nothing about him save that he exists and that we deserve to be condemned by him. But apart from the scriptures, you don't know anything about God. Apart from the scriptures, you don't know how to be saved. You don't know how to live. You don't really know good from evil in a more precise way. We know nothing apart from the word. But the temptation to deny the truth of God's word has always been the main trick of the devil. Right? Has it not? Even back in the Garden of Eden with Eve, you guys will remember, the serpent tempted Eve saying, Has God really said? Has God really said? And this trick is a powerful one. Right? It's one that has worked on many people for millennia. Right? Has God really said? Let me give you some examples. Has God really said that's a sin? You've asked yourself that question, I'm sure. You've been tempted with that. The Bible's black and white on an issue such as homosexuality or transgenderism, the two hot-button things of the day. Has God really said that that's a sin? Books, entire denominations are based around that very question. Has God really said that that's a sin? Has God really said that there is a hell? Has God really spoken as to how you're to raise your children? Has God really said how you should conduct your marriage? Has God really given humanity a sexual ethic? Has God really said how you should spend your money or your time? Has God really said you must evangelize? Has God really said there's only one way to be saved and that you must have faith in his son and follow him? Has God really said that his people must be holy and distinct from the world? These kinds of questions. Has God really said? This subtle temptation of the devil isn't going away anytime soon. It's not. It's too successful. Right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the devil's not a dummy. Right? It's not going to go away in 2019 or in the years to come after that should Christ delay his return. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying Jesus is coming back in 2019. Right? I'm not a false prophet. Don't get that, uh, don't get that mixed up. Uh, he might. I don't know. Uh, but my reason for us considering Psalm 119 is this. In light of the fact that our greatest temptation is to deny the scriptures, I want us to be resolved for the next year and all coming years that we would cling tightly to the word of God. That we would see the goodness and necessity of the scriptures. That we would love them because we love God and they come from his mouth. That we would humble ourselves before the scriptures and be taught by them. That you and I would love our Bibles. That we would teach others what the word says. And that we would commit and recommit ourselves daily to following God's ways because we desire to please him and live in accordance with his law. You know, historically, Muslims have called Christians the people of the book. And I like that name. It's actually the only thing about Islam that I do like. <laughs> so let's own that title. 
the people of the book. Let's be the people of the book. So may we delight in God's law, love his word, cherish it, and seek to walk in it. Right? So with that said, let's go ahead and read Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, and then we'll break this down verse by verse. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is God's word. Let's pray. Um, God of the scriptures, we come before you today and humbly ask that you would teach us. Make our hearts soft and teachable so that we can receive what we just read. Help us to see your glory and the goodness of your word so that we would obey it in all that we do say and think. Please bless the preaching of your word and bless the hearing of it. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, so this passage starts out with an intensely practical question, right? Very practical question. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? Answer, by guarding it according to your word, right? The word is central to everything. I want you to see that. Um, the word is central to everything. Here, our way how can a young man keep his way pure? Your way is your life. How can we keep our lives pure? But I want to start out by kicking the can back a little bit further. Our way, our lives initially become pure through the word of God. Right? What I want you to see is that the word is always central to the Christian. From the beginning of our spiritual life through to the end of it, the word is central. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, Since you have been born again... Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Peter says, we've been born again, which means regenerated, right? Brought from death to life, given the gift of faith so that we could savingly be believe on Christ and be converted. We've been born again through the living word of God. So every one of us who are Christians here have been born again by the word. At some point in your life, if you're a Christian... You all heard the word proclaimed to you, did you not? You heard the word proclaimed. Whether it was a conversation with a friend or a, a tract, right? You remember those chick tracts that everyone used to buy? They were just littering is what they were doing. But a tract or a, a song was sung or a sermon was preached, like a formal sermon like I'm doing now, or something happened. But we all heard the word of God and the Spirit of God worked alongside the Word to cause us to be born again and give us the gift of faith and convert us to Christ. That's what happened. Right? We heard the truth that's contained in the Bible, and God converted us with that. That's how powerful the Word of God is. It's powerful to convert sinners. Right? So we're initially made pure by the Word of God. But why? Well, because in the Word of God, the gospel itself is revealed. The good news that saves sinners itself is revealed in the scriptures, right? It wasn't, it's not just passed down orally. God had it committed unto writing, like we confessed from the 1689 chapter 1. But the Bible tells us how we're saved, right? How we can be cleansed of our sins and made pure by the blood of Christ so that we can be presented to God as pure and without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. 
The scriptures reveal to us the truth that we have all, every one of us, sinned against God and deserve the wrath of God for eternity in hell, but that God sent a Savior, His Son, the Lord Jesus, we just celebrated His birth last week, in order to, to save sinners by living and dying and being raised in their place. In the scriptures, we see the doctrine of penal substitution. That on the cross, Jesus took our sins upon himself and suffered God's wrath as a substitute in our place. In the scriptures, we see the glorious doctrine of imputed righteousness. And may God keep us from ever forgetting this one. We all know Jesus died for us. But imputed righteousness is this. By faith, the perfect, sinless life of Jesus Christ is put on us. Read Zechariah 3. Take off his dirty clothes and put a robe on him. Put clean clothes on him. We, by faith, have been united with Christ and his righteousness has been imputed to us. And now we can approach God and be with him forever because our sin has been taken away by Christ and paid for. And likewise, Christ's righteousness has been given to us. Not only that, but in the scriptures we see the beautiful truth that our right standing with God comes by faith alone in Christ alone apart from any works of the law, apart from baptism, apart from taking the Lord's Supper, apart from any obedience whatsoever on our part. Salvation is received alone by trusting in Christ's life, death, and resurrection on our behalf to save us. In short, the scriptures tell us how to be made pure in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. Our lives start spiritually by the word because in the word, the gospel itself is revealed. But then we go back to the word, right? We're not done, right? How can we keep our way pure, right? And when I say keep our way pure, I'm not saying that we can lose our purity entirely, right? You cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose this imputed righteousness. If you truly have been converted, you're going to persevere to the end. But to keep our way pure means to live in a way that honors the God who has saved us, right? So how do we keep from sin, that's the question. How do we keep from sin? How do we live in a way so we, so we keep away from it? How are we to stay clean in a way that glorifies God and testifies to the internal truth that we've been made righteous in his sight through Christ? Well, the psalmist says that we go back to the word. We go back to the word and guard how we live by what the word says. Now, notice this. Is there anything else mentioned? Except the word. How can a man, young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. No other wisdom. There's no other thing that is meant to direct how we live in order to please God, keep from sin, and do what is right in his sight. It is by guarding our lives by the word alone. Again, sola scriptura. By scripture alone, not by our wisdom or by the world's wisdom or by the wisdom of any man, but by heeding the word of God. I'm going to stop here for a second. To guard means to heed the word, to listen to it. This means that the word of God is actually meant to be applied to your life, right? It's not just the accumulation of knowledge and being able to say, well, the Bible says this, it, in this kind of a situation, or concerning this, the Bible says that. No, but to guard your way means to be, as James says, a doer of the word. It's meant to be applied. And may God save us from studying scripture to just be the biblically smartest person in the room. And I know that that's a temptation for many of us here, especially theology nerds, right? Myself included. 
right? But the word is to be a guard for us. It's to be used and applied, not just to become theologically fat, right? And ironically enough, here we are, right? I'm talking about myself. <laughs> but it's, used to, it's meant to be used to keep us from sin as we obey it, right? So do the word. Listen to the word, obey it, and live by it. Don't just fill your head with more and more knowledge, but apply it. Guard your life by it. And furthermore, I'll say one more thing about this. If we're to guard our lives by the word so that we don't fall into sin, we must know the word. You have to know it if you're going to guard your life by it. Now, I talk with you guys pretty often, and I'm just going to keep it real. More often than I'd like to hear, I hear this. I've not read my Bible in a week, or much more dubiously, I've not read my Bible in a while, which means like three weeks to two months. Like I'm not sure really how, but a while is usually way worse than here in a week, so now you guys know how to lie to me better and say it's been a week and not a while, uh, right? But I hear stuff similar to that on a regular basis. I've not read my Bible in a while. I've not read my Bible in a week, but let me ask you this. You've watched television, haven't you? And you've played on Facebook haven't you? That's an awesome little thing that they put on there now where it tells you how many hours you actually spent on screen time. Yeah, use that. You watched Netflix, you played on Facebook, you went out to dinner and goofed around and laughed with your friends, I would bet. You sat down and ate a meal in peace, didn't you, at some point this week, I, I would assume. Where are our priorities? Where are your priorities at? If God has saved us from hell by the blood of his son, and he has, then surely we want to honor him by living a life that pleases him. And if we desire to please him, then we must know what he has said about how we're going to live. You're not going to wing it and please God. He's very particular. You're not just going to wing it. You need the word. You need instructed. We need to know what our duties are towards God and our duties towards one another. Again, you cannot heed the word if you do not know it. Furthermore, you won't live by it if you're not constantly chewing on it and thinking through it. Don't neglect the word. Don't neglect the word in your daily life. If you neglect it, you can't guard your way. And if you can't guard your way, then your life will become vile and detestable to a holy God. The God who has redeemed you and loved you, I might add. Honor him as holy. But this next verse, verse 10, tells us why the psalmist loves the word so much and wants to honor God and why we should as well. Verse 10a, he says, with my whole heart, I seek you. This is the why. Why does he love the word? With my whole heart, I seek you. The psalmist loves God. Period. The desire to keep God's law and live by the word and be pure comes out of love for God. His desire to keep God's law, his desire for the word, is not legalistic. I know sometimes we can read passages like Psalm, like chapters like Psalm 119 or anything that talks about the law a lot or see the commandments of God and we can think, wow, this seems more legalistic than I thought. I'll put it to you this way. Maybe you've just been influenced by too much hyper-grace teaching. And antinomianism, where there is no love for the law. The psalmist yearns for the word and yearns to be instructed and loves to obey the law of God. Not because he's self-righteous or seeking to be made right with God apart from faith. The psalmist loves the Lord. That's why he loves the word. That's why he wants to obey. He loves God. He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. That is to say, I love you. 
I don't just want to know your word and fill my head. I don't just want to be externally righteous in the eyes of men as they look at me. But I want you, Lord. I want you, so I seek you out in your word. I want to know you. Right? The, the psalmist knows that he belongs to God by grace alone. Right? He knows that God has chosen him to be one of his people. He knows that God has been faithful to him and has made promises to him and, and that he's going to keep. So what does the psalmist do? He seeks God with all of his heart. He loves him. He knows he belongs to God by grace. He's not seeking a righteousness of his own. And how much more for us? How much more for us? We're under the new covenant. The psalmist was under the old covenant. His promises, God's promises are much clearer for us, are they not? Much clearer. Peter says that the Old Testament prophets looked looked into their own prophecies saying, when will he come? When will the Christ come? Meaning that we're in a more privileged position than any of the Old Testament prophets, including the author of Psalm 119. God's promises are clear to us. We can see that he sent a Savior to us and redeemed us. That God chose us in eternity past to know him. That God has placed his spirit inside of us and is working holiness and sanctification in us. That, as Paul says in Philippians, God will preserve us and finish the good work that he started in us to save us. And we know ultimately that God is going to send his son back to the world to put an end to the rebellion against him and end all evil. Do we not have a greater reason to love God? I'm not saying the psalmist didn't have a great reason, but things are much clearer for us under the new covenant. How much more should we love God? Even more than someone who lived under the types and shadows of the old covenant, I would argue. We should love God. But from this great love for God comes a plea for grace. He says, let me not wander from your commandments. The psalmist doesn't want to dishonor the God that he loves so dearly and who has been so kind to him. So what does he do? He petitions God for grace to continue to obey. He's saying, help me to walk with you. Right? Keep me from walking away from your word. I'm not strong enough by myself. Right? For us under the new covenant, we might say, I don't have it in me in and of myself to every day deny myself, take up my cross and follow Christ. So God, strengthen me. Hold me to yourself and keep me close so that I can continue to live in a way that pleases you. The psalmist is saying, help me, Father. Help me. This, let me not wander from your commandments. This is the cry of the believer who really knows God. This is the cry of a person who really knows God. The, the one who really understands his own sinfulness and his own propensity to wander from God. Like Charles Wesley wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it. Seal it. Right? This is the person who knows God and knows his own sinfulness and propensity to wander. This is the prayer of someone who really loves God and wants to glorify him. Lord, I seek you with all my heart. Please help me that I wouldn't wander from you, right? And this ought to be part of our daily prayers. God, help me. I'll fall away from your word if you don't preserve me. I'm not waking up a Christian tomorrow apart from your help. Apart from your grace, I'll leave. So keep me and help me to follow you. That should be our prayers on a daily basis. God, help me. I don't have it in me to continue. You must strengthen me by your grace. Like the psalmist, we should recognize our weaknesses and on a regular basis and, and plead with God for help. And remember this, this is not so that God will save us. 
I can't stress that enough. This yearning for obedience is not self-righteous or legalistic. This desire for obedience is because we know that God has already loved us and made us his own, like the psalmist. This is a, a prayer from gratitude. Because the soul that has been saved will desire to please God and walk in step with his commandments. And if you don't desire to walk in step with God's word, you've not been converted. God gives you a new heart and puts his law on it that you might obey it. But anyhow, keep going. We've just seen the psalmist profess his love for God and then offer up a prayer asking God for grace to keep him from sinning and disobeying God's word. But now this next verse, verse 11, is going to tell us something really important. And it's this. The prayer that the psalmist just prayed was not an empty prayer. It wasn't an empty prayer. The psalmist did not ask God to keep him from sinning and then throw his hands up and say, Well, my part's done. It's all up to God now whether or not I'm going to sin. It's on him. I'm just going to do what I want now. Right? Don't get that twisted. The psalmist is not a hyper-Calvinist. He's just a regular Calvinist, which is anachronistic, I know. It's a joke. Come on. You, I am wasted upon you people. Anyway, the psalmist is really practical. The psalmist is really practical as he petitions God for help to obey. He stays practical. He doesn't shirk his human responsibility to strive for obedience. In fact, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He says, God, keep me from wandering from your commandments. Next line, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? Because I don't want to sin. He wants to obey God and keep from sin. He wants his path to be pure in God's sight, and he wants to please God. Again, so he asks God for help while at the same time taking action and storing up the word of God in his heart. But what does that mean? Right? Anyone grow up saying the pledge to the Bible? Anyone? Was that just a Christian Baptist thing? No, that, that is all around. All right. Right? You said a pledge to the American flag, then the Christian flag, and then a pledge to the Bible. It was very strange. Um, Whatever, it's, it's cool, it's part of how we grew up. Uh, but I always wondered, like, his word I will hide in my heart so that I might not sin against God. That was part of the pledge. And I never knew what that meant. <laughs> what does it mean to hide God's word in my heart? Right, well, as we've seen before, to hide God's word in our heart is going to require us to know the word of God. Uh, and committing it to memory is certainly part of doing this, right? And that's usually, I think, what we think about whenever we think of hiding God's word in our heart is committing it to memory. And that's certainly part of it. Right? And let me recommend this to you uh, to make that a habit this year. Right? Memorize the scriptures. What if someone takes your Bible from you? I mean, if it can happen in China, it can happen here. The, the people who rule our country are not of another spiritual DNA that their unconverted people are. Right? I'm not trying to be a fear monger. I'm saying, memorize it, man. You don't know how long you're going to have it. <laughs> right? Our brothers and sisters throughout the world would tell you that. If you got it, memorize it. Commit it to memory. Right? Just memorize a short passage of scripture each week, a few verses. But, but to hide something in our heart is more than just to memorize it. It's more than that. Now, what I'm getting ready to tell you, I'm stealing from some old dead guys, um, but, but I think it makes sense. Right? There are four parts to hiding God's word in our hearts. The first is this. You must accept it. You must accept the word of God, no matter what it says, whatever it says, about literally everything it speaks about, no matter how much it might go against your natural thinking. No matter how much it goes against what the world is telling you, we accept the word of God because it comes from God. And, and he knows much more than us. He is infallible and almighty, and we are weak, sinful, ignorant, fallible people. 
So we accept his word as his word in all things. Whether you like it or not, you must accept his word. Second, to store up God's word in our heart, we must believe it. We must believe that the scriptures are right and true in whatever they teach. You have to believe it, that whatever God has said is really the best way for you to live. And it's really for your good. You must believe that God is not just being arbitrary, but that his word is actually good for you. Third, you must ponder on it. You must ponder the word. Which means to think about it deeply. To meditate on what the Bible says. And I don't mean like Eastern, make it okay, hands, and sit in a circle. I don't mean that kind of, that's pagan. We don't do that, we're Christians. Um, But I mean to think about it. To recite the scriptures to yourself and chew on it. How do these words fit together? How do these verses, what's the big idea from this passage? To really think it through. And then ask yourself, how do these verses, how does this passage apply to my life? And in whatever situation I might find myself in. I must ponder the word. We're always to be thinking on the scriptures and its relevance for us. And then fourthly, we must practice it. Right? To hide something in our hearts necessarily means to practice it. And why do I say that? Because Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it's in your heart, you will necessarily do it. Whatever is in your heart manifests itself in what you do. Right? So if we hide the word in our hearts, we must practice it. If we don't obey the word, I'll put that to you real quick. If you find yourself not walking in obedience to the word of God, go back to those three steps and say, have I not accepted it as true? Have I not believed it as good? And have I not really thought about it? Because I would bet if you're not obeying the scriptures in a given area of your life, one of those three things is out of whack. You've either not thought about it, you don't believe it's good, or you've just not accepted the word of God for what it says. So again, I'll put that to you. Those are the four things. But we must put into practice what we've accepted, believed, and thought through. Or again, we're not treasuring God's word and doing our part to keep in line with the word of God. But why? Why should we treasure the word and hide it in our heart? Well, the reasoning of the psalmist is so that we can be kept from sin. Right now, a major theme of this psalm is this. Where there is love for God, there is love for his word and a hatred of sin. That's a major theme, I think, of this passage, of this whole psalm in general. And according to this psalm, it's our knowledge of the word that we put into action that's going to keep us from sin. And I know that that's simple. You're sitting there, duh. (laughs) If you put the word into action, you're going to keep from sin, of course. It's not easy, but it is simple. So I'll put this to you. Do you want to honor God? Then know the word. And do the word, and then repent when you sin, and disobey the word, and then keep doing it. Know the word, do the word, repent when you sin. And I appreciate that kind of simplicity of the Christian life. It doesn't make it easy, but it is so simple a child can understand it. I praise God for that. Both the learned and the unlearned through ordinary means might attain a sufficient knowledge of the scriptures, is what our confession says. But the psalmist then in verse 12, bursts into praise to God and offers up another plea for grace. He says, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Right? He declares God's blessedness. He says, God, you are blessed. That is to say, he is the source of all blessing and the fountainhead of all that is good and right and true. And then he goes on and asks, since God has so much goodness and happiness and blessedness in his own nature and being, he asks God to bless him. God, you are full to the brim of blessedness. Please bless me. He pleads with God, teach me your statutes. Teach me, God. 
Let me put this to you. God answers these kinds of prayers. God will absolutely teach you his law. Absolutely will. It will not deplete God at all to bless us. He will not be missing out on blessedness. He is infinitely blessed. He won't deplete him at all to bless us and teach us how to obey him. He is able and willing to teach us obedience as we asked for when we sang our opening song. So we ask. But we learn something as the psalmist says, teach me. We, we see here that we need to have the heart of a disciple. If we're going to genuinely ask God, teach me. You must have the heart of a disciple. To humble yourself before God and make yourself teachable as much as it depends upon you. You know, we, we live in an age where everyone seems to think they're smarter than everyone else. Right? You ever debated someone on the internet? That's a horrible time. <laughs> but here we see the need for our own humility. Here in this verse, we see our need for humility. That we need to approach God in reverence and ask that he would teach us what his word says and how we should obey it. Right? Because again, he, he, he knows how best it should be kept. He wrote it. Teach me. We should approach the word of God in humility. Hear me out. You don't approach God or his word as if you're equal to him or it. God help you if you, that's your mentality when you open the scriptures. You are not about to sit before an equal. You are sitting before the God of the universe listening, listening to him speak to you. You don't come to the word of God saying, I've got this down and there's nothing more to know. You are much more ignorant than you think you are if that's your mentality. And you don't come to the word of God judging it, thinking I'll determine what's right and wrong in this book. You will not judge God. God judges men. You will not judge his word. No, as the people of God, we come before the word of God as disciples of the Lord Jesus, asking our heavenly father to instruct us. Help me. Teach me your ways. Teach me your statutes. We're so far beneath God. So far beneath his word. And we're so ignorant without his instruction by his word. We need taught by him. Furthermore, we're fools. This has been big in my thinking. I hope this helps you. You're a fool if you approach the Christian life or even the, re even the reading of Scripture without first asking God to teach you. You ever read your Bible cold? You didn't ask God to help you? You're a fool. You, the Holy Spirit's the one who helps you receive things. He's the one who illumines, illumines Scripture for you that you might understand it. You don't read the Bible cold. Ask God, teach me. You're a fool if you open the word without asking for the Spirit's intervention that you might actually receive the word and not just read it like a newspaper. right? So we come to God in humility and we ask him to condescend and help us and make us teachable. And listen, he will. He will. I don't often say that God's certainly going to answer your prayers. right? I mean, come on now. I hate the prosperity gospel and all that stuff. right? But God will answer this. It pleases God to bless his children with all spiritual blessings. Right? Consider this, dads here. Just like an earthly father is overjoyed to show his son a new skill or how to work his trade, likewise, it pleases our heavenly father to teach us how to keep his word and follow his son and be like his son. It pleases him to answer these kinds of prayers. So pray this prayer with confidence. Teach me your statutes. Approach the throne of grace with all boldness, saying, teach me. And God will. Why do I say that? Because it's always God's will to sanctify his children. The Apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians, this is the will of God, your sanctification. 
And in order for us to grow in sanctification, we must be taught by God. He will answer this. But this next verse flows right with verse 12. The psalmist goes from being taught to teaching others. He says, teach me, verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. So the one who was and is taught by God now becomes the teacher of others. Charles Spurgeon said, what we learn in private we are to declare on the rooftops. That's good. What we learn in private we are to declare So as the psalmist was and is still being taught by God, he begins to teach other people. And he teaches them everything he knows about all that God has said in his word. I don't think he's saying that he has exhaustive knowledge of the scriptures. The psalmist was just a man. But he's saying, everything that I know, I declare. I declare all the rules of your mouth. He doesn't shrink back from declaring what Paul says, the whole counsel of God to both believers and unbelievers. And this reminds us of what God spoke through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. I'll read that to you right now. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The people of God are taught by God through his word and are to always be reflecting on his word. That's what we just read in Deuteronomy 6. When you sit down, when you rise, when you're going by the way, when you're at your house, whatever you're doing, always talking about my word, always instructing one another, instructing your children, always. We're always to be thinking on the word, looking for how it applies to us, never forsaking or neglecting it, but always seeking to learn ourselves so that we might then teach others at all times. The word is to have an ever-present ruling authority over us, a never-ending presence in our lives, right? Not once a week when we gather together for a few scripture readings and a sermon, not only at Bible studies, Right? Not only during family worship, which I hope you do, we're going to talk about that in a moment, but, but at all times and in all that we do, the word is to have a presence ruling over us. So let me make a note here to parents and married couples. Let me encourage you. Prioritize the word of God. Please, teach your children. Teach them. Don't think that it's only... My job and Steve's job and, and, and Dave's job and the volunteers of the church to teach your children and for you to teach one another. Take seriously what the psalmist says here and be a teacher in your home in whatever way that you can. Now, look, I'm not dumb. You're not going to preach sermons to one another. I get that. And Autumn probably wishes I didn't do it to her every day of the week, right? But let the word have a constant presence in your houses. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Don't let family worship take a backseat in your home life just because it's difficult. And when I say family worship, I mean getting your family to sit around, read the scriptures, pray, and maybe even sing and go over some catechism questions with them. Don't let that take a backseat just because you know it's going to be a fight. Fight with your kids and sit down with them and read to them. Let the word have priority in your home. Catechize one another and catechize your kids. As the psalmist says, declare all the rules that come from the mouth of God. And for all of us, right? 
Because if you're single or unmarried or whatever, you're not getting out of this free. Declare the word of God to everyone. That's what the psalmist says. I declare all the rules of your mouth, right? With my lips, I declare everything. Make it your mission this coming year to encourage other believers in the word. Dare I say it, disciple someone. You don't got to be a genius. Meet with them and talk with them. Make it your mission to encourage other believers in the word. Make it your business to go to unbelievers and declare God's law and their condemnation under the law of God until they weep and ask, how might we be saved? And then make it your business to declare God's gospel to them and call them to repentance and faith. Be champions of God's word and put it on display in your lives by living it out for certain, right? But listen, no one's ever been saved by just looking at a Christian and seeing how they live. Put the word of God on display in your life by talking about it with whoever will give you an ear. Declare all of God's word. Do what the psalmist did. Listen, it won't be a waste of your time. It might be awkward and hard sometimes, but it won't be a waste of your time. It'll honor God as you honor his word. And it'll keep your ways pure and in accord with the scriptures. Because as we teach, we learn. And things are often made more real and brought further into our hearts when we declare them to other people. But in the next verse, the psalmist says something that you might find a bit shocking. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. He says that he delights in God's testimonies more than all wealth. And here testimonies means not just doctrines or narratives, right? The stories of the scriptures, the true stories of the scriptures, or just consolation passages like Romans 8.28 that we like to memorize. But the testimonies of God are the practical do this and don't do that kinds of laws. He says, I love those. I love the practical commandments of God. Now, we live in a world that tends to view commands and laws as a burden and something meant to cramp our style and keep us from having a good time, right? That's generally how we think whenever we hear the word law or commandment. But the psalmist here says that he delights in the law of God. He says, more than anything in the world, I delight in God's law. Why? Because they're not a burden to the believer. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God. This is how you love God, that we keep his commandments And his commandments are not burdensome. The law of God is not a burden to the person who's been born again because we love God. Not only that, but we love the law of God because it's not arbitrary. You ever thought about this? God's commandments are not arbitrary. Right? He's not saying don't do that. Why? Eh, it's because I felt like telling you not to do it. Right? God's law is not arbitrary. We know that God is good, do we not? Actually, Psalm 119 says you are good and you do good. Right? We know that God is good. He's saved us and he's given us every good thing that we have. He's only been good to us. His law must be the same. Even if it might not make sense to you or it might appear to be arbitrary, it's not. He's good, so his law is good. His law promotes human flourishing and provides us with the most stable, best way to live. Furthermore, we, we were made to glorify him and know him. And when we walk with his word, And walk in it, we glorify him and experience him more fully than when we disobey. Therefore, we delight in his testimonies. The word is good for us. It puts up guardrails so that we don't go into a ditch and end up experientially far from God. 
Moreover, everyone who has been born again, born again loves God's law. It might be in differing degrees at different times in our lives, but we love his word even when it hurts us and confronts us in our sin. But we have this thirst for the law because we know that obeying it brings an experience of closeness to God, and that's what we desire above everything. I know I've been up here for a while, but we're, we're in our final two verses now. And let me recommend these verses to you as your New Year's resolutions. It might sound cheesy, I know, but since they're biblical, you can't tell me I'm dumb for doing this. <laughs> they're probably more important than anything else you had in mind for your New Year's resolutions. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The psalmist resolves to do what he's already doing, <laughs> just to a greater measure. It's as if here the psalmist makes a promise to God saying, I will continue on this path of righteousness. I will continue in your word and your ways. Just briefly, we'll blast through all four of these. He says he will continue to meditate on the word. He will continue to think daily on what God has said and how to direct his steps. He's going to keep coming back to it. Right? And as Charles Spurgeon says, you always come back to the things that you love. He says, I will continue to meditate on the word. Second, he says, I will fix my eyes on God's ways. Meaning he's going to think, he's going to focus himself on God's character. Right? As it's revealed in the scriptures. How God thinks, what God loves, what God hates, how God deals with mankind. And he's going to ask himself, what has God said that's going to please him? He's going to inquire of the word how he might show God the proper reverence, gratitude, and love that God deserves. He's going to focus himself on what God has declared in the word. Third, he says, he will continue to delight in God's law. He won't obey begrudgingly. Let me say that again. He will not obey begrudgingly. But he's going to obey with delight and find joy in the commandments of God because they're good. I think we can all say amen. I need to resolve to do that more. That I wouldn't just say, well, God says to do this, so I'm going to do it. But that I would actually have joy in my heart. He says, I will delight. He's going to obey God with a happy heart, trusting that God's way is the best way, even when it's hard. And then lastly, he will not forget God's word. He will not forget. He will not let it lie around unused and unread. He won't neglect it in his own life and in the life of his family. He will not allow himself to forget what God has said. He will devote himself to the scriptures above everything else. This last resolution is the most important for us, I think. I will not forget your word. Brothers and sisters, this has to be on our hearts. This resolve to never abandon what God has said. To never question the goodness and truthfulness of the word. We can ask God why, but to never say this is a lie. right? To, to never listen. We must be resolved to never listen to the world and the wisdom of supposed professionals and scholars over the wisdom of our God. We must resolve to refuse to deny God's truth. To refuse to compromise on it. We must daily renew this pledge to walk in God's word and daily recommit ourselves to living according to revealed truth. If we don't, we're going to fall into misery, sin, error, and even apostasy. We must stick with the word and never forget it. 
This must be our resolution as the people of God. We will not forget your word. So in this coming year, let's resolve to continue to be the people of the book, shall we? Be the people of the book. Let's resolve to cherish the scriptures, submit to them, be taught by them, and teach others what they say. Let's renew and recommit ourselves to the study of the word, to hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against the God who has loved us and saved us. Let's pledge ourselves to delight in the word of truth that God promises is good for us. And let's be utterly resolved to hold fast to the word, to never forget it, to never abandon it, and to never compromise on it, but rather to pledge our unyielding and undying allegiance to the word of the God that we love, no matter what the cost. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word preserved for us, written down for us, that we might propagate the truth and have a more sure foundation to stand on than than any man's word. Thank you. God, for protecting it, letting it be passed down from generation to generation, that it might come to us, that we might receive it by faith. God, I I pray that for every believer in here, that we might submit ourselves to the word, that we might recommit ourselves, that we might make good use of our time and not waste our time on stupid things, but that we might know your word and study your word and read your word and teach our our family and friends and children. God, grant that to us, please. Save us from ourselves and our own foolishness. God, help us to have good priorities. Making you and your word our chief priority. God, and as the psalmist says, help us to not wander from your commandments. It's not going to be by our white-knuckled obedience that we honor you, but only by your grace. So, Lord, help us, please. We love you. Increase our love for you and all that you've commanded in your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.